This episode of the Smoke Pit brought to you by the Nut Ruck by Arbor Arms. Tactical fanny pack for your nuts and your butts. Check them out at arborarms.com. Tell them the Smoke Pit sent you. Also check out Combat Comeover at combatcomeover.com. Find palmades and beard oils for your hair and your face. And use that promo code SMOKEPIT. Save yourself some money. Welcome to the Smoke Pit. What up, though? We have a fantastic guest today. Uh, he is the host of the Born the Battle podcast, the official podcast of the Department of Veteran Affairs. Uh, they put out the information that uh, what the, the, the VA is doing and new information on programs and happenings, as well as interview a bunch of fantastic guests. I uh, am a bit partial to that because I was a guest on it. So uh, it, I was saying, Daniel Sharp. yeah, and including uh, myself. So uh, Tanner, would you, would you introduce yourself? Yeah, absolutely. I uh, appreciate it, Dan. Uh, happy to finally be on the smoke pit. We, you and I have talked about um, that. That was uh, my original idea for a, a podcast. And I looked in the, on the Google machine. I was like, Oh, the smoke pits already made. Cool. <laughs> um, no, uh, Tanner Iskra, Marine Corps veteran, uh, 11 years, got out in 2015. Uh, was a video producer for NASCAR for three and a half years and a senior oh, that's cool. editor. Yep. And right then, on. Uh, and then left that. That was my first gig. And then I, I left that about a year and a half ago and took a job with the VA as a video producer. And now I'm their podcast host. Right on. What'd you do in the Marine Corps? I was a combat videographer. Yeah. So, yep. So, uh, made, made video productions from soup, soup to nuts. Um, did, um, did the commandant's birthday message a couple times. Oh, fun. Which commandant? Uh, <laughs> You talk about fun. Well, uh, <laughs> Amos <laughs> was, uh, and but Conway, but Conway was the first one. Yeah, I think he was the one who uh, who uh, first enacted the 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 tattoo policy that we all hate. We that were, was Amos. That was, was Amos. That Amos. Yeah, it, that it was Amos. the it was the brainchild of Conway because we were yeah. in the we were in the the field house and he gave us the speech when he took over as commandant. Yeah. And then uh, there was a couple of different questions that he got asked during that thing. And then every time he get asked a hard question, he kind of looked at the Sergeant Major and be like, Sergeant Major, you want to take that one? Sergeant Major was like, I ain't going to steal your thunder, <laughs> sir. Kill it. Yeah. So as a uh, young Lance Corporal of 47 years old, uh, AJ Pfeffer <laughs> rose his hand and he was like, sir, um, you know, Lance Corporal, AJ Pfeffer, Indy Company, 3rd Battalion, 6th Marines, rah. And everybody went, rah. And he's like, my question is, how are you going to ensure that we get more bayonet kills? Because we are trained extensively on bayonets in boot camp, but I've only gotten like two in Iraq. And so we need to pump those numbers up. And he's like, that is a great question, Lance Corporal. Let me tell you about how tattoos make you combat ineffective. <laughs> and I was I'll like, I was like okay, well, uh, tattoos don't have anything to do with that because the uniform covers them up. And yeah. he was like, "How about a new? Uh, how about a new PT outfit? How's that? How, how will that work? Will, will that be better for the bayonets? <laughs> Running suit?" And we're like, "No, bayonet kills." You, you should have just told him, "Sir, I'm going to get a tattoo of a bayonet kill." How about that? I think yeah. his mind would have exploded onto the stage. Uh, <laughs> we uh, we had a buddy of ours who was at the base at school. He was an instructor was with us there, and and he uh, he was actually in uh, AJ's company, uh, Brandon. And he had a, a tattoo of Arabic writing on his uh, his forearm. And so we, we asked him, he was like, hey, bud, like, you know, what, what does that mean? I was expecting for it to say something lame like infidel or, or whatever. And he was like, yeah. oh, it's, uh, it's the name of the first man I ever killed. And we were like, 
whoa. And then, you know, yeah, that's the, deep. Yeah, one of the more <laughs> uh, animated uh, gentlemen in our section who was from the Dominican public, he was like, yo, dog, you better explain that shit. You can't just say something that fucking hard and not explain it. <laughs> And he was like, yeah, we were on a, on a vehicle checkpoint and a car tried to run the barrier and I shot the driver. And, you know, as we were doing our uh, site exploitation, I, I uh, pulled out his ID and, you know, we took a, a picture of it for, you know, bats and hides and, and all that and for information. And he kept the picture and he, um, he took that and he had a, a translator look at it and was like, okay, this is the guy's name. And he took that exact writing to his tattoo artist and he's like, I want that right here and pointed to his forearm. Wow. Yeah, wow. that's, that's He's probably an, the hardest story I've ever heard. I've I've got one worse. I'm not going to tell it on the show because it's really dark. Yeah. But I will say Brandon was always an intense guy. Like, yeah. he took everything too seriously, including Call of Duty. <laughs> so, that being said, you transitioned into the Born the Battle podcast, which I'm, I'm trying to say that slowly so I don't mess it up. Uh, it's B-O-R-N-E. If you're looking it up, it's available on all the same platforms we are. They're on uh, social media. Uh, check out their website. And so if you had to describe what is the purpose of the VA's podcast, what would you say? You know, I was asked that question uh, by the previous host because I'm the second host of Born the Battle. And, and when we did the changeover episode, uh, Tim Lawson was like, what is what is Tanner Iskra's Born the Battle going to look like? And I remember I, I probably I gave some BS answer. You know, and in my mind, I was like, holy crap. No. Okay. What really, what is this thing going to be? Yeah. And so, um, I didn't want it to just be just another run of the mill podcast. I wanted to have a purpose. So I went back and I kind of went back to my Marine Corps training and I was like, all right, mission, what's the mission of this podcast? And I wrote like five tenants out and it's to get information from the VA to the veteran as quickly as possible Yep. to cross that civilian military divide to inspire transitioning veterans with, with inspiring stories with people that have success, successfully transitioned yes. and, and tell, and, and tell people how they did it and, um, educate VA employees on their customer base. Cause I think that's important. Yeah, that makes sense. And so we, we were talking a little bit about this in the, uh, the, the pre-show rundown, uh, you, uh, host the podcast. You are not a claims representative, so people shouldn't message you asking <laughs> how they should, uh, get their claims filed or, you know, really no. put the screws to you about like, oh yeah, you know, my clinic in Kalamazoo has a, you know, 45 minute wait time on the phone. Like, how are you going to fix that? And it's like, bro, like, I'm, 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 that's not my department. Like you were saying earlier, like you're, you're the dude on post three and they're over here asking if you can represent them in an upcoming court martial. It's, it's, it's a bit of a yeah. different scope. You know, but, but I do feel for, for, for folks that, that do have issues with the VA. Um, it's not like I don't want to help you. So I'm going to do my best to point you in the right direction. You know what I mean? Even though if I can't help you, I'm, if I can't directly help you, I'm still going to do my best to, to point you in the right area. And so here's an, an example of what you can find. Um, there are uh, a, a, a large number of pervasive issues that, that uh, hinder veterans that are outside of the realm of what you can do in, inside of a hospital. For example, uh, a lot of older veterans are being scammed with uh, robocalls and solicitation uh, letters and stuff like that. And although they are illegal, if you're an older veteran who is maybe not as in touch with uh, the way that things are done and you get a phone call or you get a letter and it's worded in a certain way that may think that you have to give them your private information. Otherwise you may lose your health care or your benefits. Then, you know, people are having uh, stuff uh, stolen from them. And I remember listening to an episode that 
you had brought on you had brought on a guest that uh, spoke very well to that aspect as to kind of like what to look out for, what scams are going around, yes. and so that's just like one example of like the kind of information that you're trying to get out there to help people. Yes, yes, that was happening. That happens to a lot of especially elderly veterans, and that was early on, and 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 I think it was like in the episode 140s in the archives. So if you go to one to battle, and I and he was a USP a postal inspector. Yep. And he was also a Marine Corps and he was also a Marine Corps veteran. And he talked de- very deeply about that. And he, man, that was a good episode. I, I totally forgot about that episode. It's, it's been a, a year and a half, you know, you know, you, you kind of yeah. run through episodes. You're like, but yeah, no, um, man, what was his name? Well, why, why you're, but, uh, it, but if you, if you, yeah, if you Google born the battle. Yeah. Why, uh, why yeah. you're reaching back and uh, uh, for that memory? Cause we, you know, we were also talking about how, how important it is to keep uh, certain keepsakes uh, and mementos and stuff. As you get older, you start to forget little details about your service and, you know, a letter or a gift from a family member uh, can, you know, can really bring you back. And you, you will hear certain things on the podcast. You're like, oh man, I forgot that acronym or, you know, I forgot that system or that piece of gear or, you know, I never really thought it about that way. So, you know, we highly encourage all of our listeners to, to check out Born the Battle. And one of my favorite episodes uh, you kind of put a challenge out there. You said, hey, we have a recording of, uh, I forgot the individual's name, but it's the guy that um, well, uh, Good Morning Vietnam was based off of the movie with Robin Williams. Adrian Cronauer. Yeah, Adrian Cronauer. And he had actually done an interview with uh, legendary uh, comedian and veteran Mel Brooks. And if you're unfamiliar with him, correct yourself. He did Spaceballs. He did uh, Blazing Saddles. He did merchandising. Uh, yeah, Robin Hood Men in Tights. The, <laughs> the producers, like Mel Brooks, is an absolute uh, comedy legend, national treasure. Yeah. yeah yep. when, when I met John Stewart from The Daily Show, I actually told him a joke about Mel Brooks, and he and he really laughed. And he's like, "You don't really hear a lot of Mel Brooks jokes." And I was like, "Ah, oh, I made John Stewart laugh." Like, I'm, I'm, <laughs> he's been riding that high ever since. Not, not many people know that Mel Brooks cut wire in World War II. You know, he was a wireman. He was the guy rolling out the, the, the telegraph wire. Yeah. And so uh, you, you'd set a challenge out there. You're like, hey, look, as soon as we get to uh, X amount of reviews on Apple, then we'll post this interview. And I got to say, uh, you know, hearing those two individuals converse in, it, it wasn't necessarily the, the longest interview. And it was just something that got shelved because the product that he was going to endorse actually uh, never rolled out. So the interview yep. itself just kind of got archived. And, you know, through your Marine Corps uh, tenacity and research, you know, you're in, in my mind, you're shirtless in the archives room, just glistening, you know, <laughs> not, from, not from oil, but from pouring you know, beer on your own chest, trying, trying to find uh, good uh, material for your listeners. And you found this interview and it was really awesome to hear. So, uh, that, you know, that, that's yeah. just another example of the, the kind of good nuggets that you get from, uh, from that show. That was so when I found well actually it was brought to me by an Air Force veteran in our office and she's like I have this this interview from the ad council that never got used. Yeah, I was also going to ask if the, the they were also shirtless and glistening and you said she and I was like nope can't ask that. Yeah, no, 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 no. But no, Jeanette was great. She brought that over and she's like could you use this? And I was like absolutely I will and but man, this is such a treasure. I'm so going to hold this for ransom for reviews. Like I'm yeah. so going to like and that definitely helped grow the show. Um, yeah, that's but. like when your chain of command is like, hey, look, y'all can have three beers uh, when we come back from uh, Iraq or Afghanistan. We land in Kyrgyzstan or Shannon. You guys can have three beers instead of two if you don't murder any civilians these next few months. <laughs> <laughs> 
absolutely. So, so glad so that, to say we got that third beer. There, yeah. you, go. there you go. And then, uh, and then we had a guy in our platoon that violently awoke a sleeping local because he's like, "Hey, I want to hear your accent. Talk to me about something." <laughs> Didn't it cost him? He, he was a nice guy. He was just really big. Yeah. Wow. Where, where, where was that? Where'd you get that? When did that happen? That was in Shannon, Ireland. Yeah. Yeah, we were in the and airport. He wanted, and, he, and he wanted to hear your, your accent? No, no. Uh, a, a local Irishman's accent who was uh, oh. awaiting a, a flight of his own. It was like 2 a.m. and yeah. he was sleeping on a bench. And then uh, the guy, the, the Marine comes up to him. And this guy looks like The Rock, but like about a foot shorter. And so he comes okay. over and just like plops his big ass on the, on the, on yeah, the bench. Yeah, he's massive. And he's like... Hey man, how you doing? The guy violently jerks awake because there's this huge monster of a person sitting next to him. He's yeah. like, "Hey, talk to me. I want to hear your voice." He was a, a UFC <laughs> yeah, heavy, heavyweight fighter. Sense. Yeah, he was. Uh, he fought in the heavyweight division in the early days of UFC before he joined the Marine Corps. So this dude was just like massive oh, wow. and, and, and intimidating. And so you know, you're just an Irish dude, and you're in an airport, and you fall asleep, and you wake up, and you're surrounded <laughs> by like hundreds of Marines in camis, and one of them is like standing directly over you. <laughs> do a jig <laughs> with his big bald head and his North Carolina accent I'm bored do a jig <laughs> we get there and the, uh, the first sergeant he, he was also a massive dude he was a scout sniper uh, surprisingly to be that big like I don't know how anybody didn't see him in a hide but uh, he, he pulls the company and he's like alright listen up you know, the commanding officer said that this is the limits for beer, but he's like, he didn't say how big the beer could be. And he made like a large gesture with his hand. He put his hand nice. out directly next to him as yeah. if you were measuring a small child. Yeah. And so when we all went there, they're like, uh, we're like, yeah, you know, let me get a, a glass of this. And they're like, what size? And we're like the largest size you have. I think my That's favorite like, part of that though, was that ever we were in Ireland. So everybody's like, yeah, let me get a Guinness. And there's a lot of people in there who've never had like, Guinness from Ireland because it doesn't have it tastes different. There's no preservatives. Tastes different. I've yeah. heard that. So they're like, let me get two Guinnesses, and they like half the Guinnesses went undrunk because they were like, oh, let me get something. Let me get something more familiar. Give me a PBR or whatever the hell it was. Yeah, because if you're uh, if you're used to just drinking uh, Bush Ice like our uh, co-host Mike Sensi is, he loves the Bush. Yeah, ice. that's his favorite beer is Bush Ice, and uh, and then you drink something <laughs> a little stronger. It uh, it might be it might be a bit alarming. <laughs> oh my god yeah guinness def- i never got the guinness treatment when i went to iraq i never got i never got to go through ireland we went through germany oh we, we went through so, germany yeah. one time and yeah. we we landed directly behind an army unit so they were taking up all the space at the bar but germany has jack and coke in a can pre-mixed so yeah. a lot of us went to the store and we were drinking them in line on the way to go pay for it so you get up to the counter and you have like four cans that you put on the counter and be like, I'd like to pay for all these beer, all these drinks that I had. None of us got that treatment. We went through the airport when it was all closed. Mm. The whole thing was closed. Garbage. And yeah, so we had, there was like one store with like chocolate and we were like, we don't want chocolate, dude. Like, well, <laughs> to be fair, there was a probably pretty good chance that that chocolate had alcohol in it. So you might've missed out. <laughs> Not really. No, we checked, man. We checked. It was all the German chocolate and we were just like, okay, cool beer <laughs> we're in germany yeah. we actually the, when we went through the shannon airport for that for that story we we're just talking about the it was 2 a.m and we were in some back alley like terminal the the first sergeant had called ahead and gotten them to send people out to open it up and they were like why should we do this and he goes i guarantee you you'll make money so yeah true. and not to mention like tipping is not exactly a, a big thing 
overseas. It's, it's kind of a more of an American concept yeah. that was developed yeah. during uh, Prohibition. Prohibition. And yeah. uh, so you have all these drunk Marines who now they got a pocket full of money. And so they go to the ATM, you know, they withdraw their schmeckles or whatever <laughs> currency that they use over there. Schmeckles. Yeah. <laughs> And so, you know, the, the, the pint or whatever, you know, costs like uh, eight euros and, you know, they're, they're just leaving, you know, tens, twenties and like keep the change. Like, so I would say if you, if you are a bartender during one of those times, uh, please reach out to us. We want to hear your stories. <laughs> oh yeah. I can only imagine. They pretty, I can only imagine. But it's funny when, when, when a U.S. base gets in like Germany or Ireland, man, or the, the, the restaurants around that base quickly get accustomed to the tipping culture of America. Yeah. Because of the, because of, you know, just service members are so easy. Hey, yeah, absolutely. Good service. And they're like, that's my job, bro. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm already, I'm already paid a fair livable wage. Yeah. Like in, in places like Australia, they consider it kind of an insult. Yep. Yeah, yep. So. I think uh, Romania was the same way. Romania. How was that? Yeah. That was my last deployment, man. I got put on the black sea rotational force. Oh, I say fun. deployment, deployment in quotational marks. Romania was great. Um, it was kind of like, it was the last year I was, I was in and they sent me out there and I did, I was going to do a documentary on what they were going to call the new normal. And that was all the different special purpose mag tests that they were putting together. Basically the Marine Corps didn't have enough money to put us on Muse anymore. So we were going to be a land-based Muse and I think yeah. they're still doing them. And uh, we were, I think the third rotation ever, third or fourth. And so I was making a documentary across Europe. So I was in Romania, Latvia, uh, Germany, Spain, Italy, France, uh, almost got to trip, almost got to Tripoli to evacuate the embassy. Uh, was, that's what I was doing in Sigonella, Italy for like a month. Yeah. And, uh, so, you know, all the, all the different, uh, I was with three, eight and three, eight, like they were, they were split up by companies. Each company was in like one company was in special purpose, MEGTEF crisis response in Spain. The other one was in uh, Af special purpose crisis response or special purpose MEGTEF Africa and Italy. They were going down to Africa to train. Yeah. And then I was part of the, I was part of the black rotational force. Um, man, that was a good time. <laughs> but, but if you were part of the company or part of a platoon, you went on like one exercise in the six months. My ass was everywhere in that six months. Like I didn't get a chance to sit down. I'd get down to, I'd get down to, I'd get down to, I get, I get back to Romania. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm going to cut some footage. And he, and like the CEO would come and he was like, Iskra. He was like, yeah, yes, sir. And he was like, you know, Staff Sergeant, you got to go down to Italy now. They're doing, they're, we're about ready to evacuate the embassy. I was like, yo, I'm down for that. So I never got to go. They had this beach called Mamaya Beach. And it, I guess it's like Romania's version of Miami Beach. Yeah. My ass never got to go to my mama uh, beach. That's yeah. Oh, you never got to go. Got to go. All, you got to go all over Europe, but you didn't go to get to that one beach. Oh, no. I, didn't go to the <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was cool. The best part I think was watching the world cup with the French foreign legion. That was probably the coolest thing. Yeah, those, those dudes are wacky. Yeah, those guys are, are intense. And I, I've known a few Marines that either were in the legion first or they were in the Marine Corps, then went to the legion. And, um, you know, they, they said that there are, there are differences in the way that they train and the way that they conduct and big time. Basically what I, what I've heard is that in the French foreign legion, the uh, there, there's no guff in the standard. Like there's none of this like, Oh, well, you know, you have to get recycled through like, no, if you don't make it, you don't make it. And if you can't hack it, you can't hack it. However, yeah. what I've also heard is that the uh, com camaraderie and the esprit de corps is better in the Marine Corps. 
and as well as the way that they uh, integrate small unit leaders to think and uh, fight independently. Absolutely. So that was the biggest thing that we saw when we trained with them. So we had to assault through um, like a mount town uh, together, Legion on one side, Marine Corps on the other. The corporals were the one making the calls to go into each each room, each building, clear clear sweep. I mean, we, we went through very, very quickly. And we were waiting on the Legion on the other side of town because they had to wait on the lieutenant to give them the order to go, to go in a building. And we're like, dude, what if that guy gets shot? What are you going to do, sergeant, yeah. corporal? Like, like, and they were just like, oh, we have to wait on the, on, the, on the captain or on the lieutenant. So we saw that and we're like, okay, there's a big difference there. But then they challenged us to a run and we thought it was going to be in Boots and Utes. So we showed up in Boots and Utes and they were in the booty shorts and they were in the, the, the high top tennies. And we thought it was going to be like a formation run. And it's like, no, dude, this was a race, you know? Yeah. So, so here I am with my camera at boots and utes and, and, and the rest of us are in boots and utes and dude, they just like booked it. They just took off and we were like the whole, the Marine Corps, the rest of us were struggling to keep it because like we were not prepared for that at all. Um, and I've, I've heard that a lot. Yeah. Their physical training is, was legit. Well, like, it's not only that, but like, the uh, I've I've heard that with the Royal Marine Commandos and you know other units that that uh, by and far and away that the and granted like the Royal Marine Commandos is only a couple thousand people it'd be more akin to comparing that to our uh, like our reconnaissance unit than just you know yeah. uh, a, a MAGTAF but also the idea that you know uh, the 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 way that they view nutrition and that the way that they view exercise is much different than America uh, we typically uh as far it's like you know how like the world like how america kind of views florida like that's how the rest of the world views america the, the <laughs> america is the is the is the florida of the world yes. yeah and so i, I, I kind of get a double because I'm, I'm from florida so the um mm. the idea of like when you do see your uh, other military counterparts they're usually a lot smaller than us and not necessarily just like body fat composition but also just like muscle mass like yeah you 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 will have guys in the other militaries that are very cut and like very defined, but then you'll have our guys that are you know everything from you know the the five foot one Hispanic guy that you know sticks and bones to you know the two hundred and sixty pound bodybuilder UFC fighter. So like mm -hmm. it, it's such a diverse uh, uh, blending of the American military. Where if you look at other militaries, it's usually like white guy, white guy, white guy, token, white guy, white guy, white guy. You know. Yeah. Well, the Legion's not like that because, you know, the yeah. Legion gets people from all different countries. And, and you talk about nutrition. The one thing that I did notice about the Legion is that the nutrition was a little different. Uh, wine was a, was, a, was a staple. They had wine all the time. You know, it was like, especially after our exercise or whatever, they had this huge party with us and it was just boxed wine everywhere. Just, just <laughs> you know, and it was like open plates. It was like a very fancy... It's like, dude, I don't, I, I would never see this. You would never see this in the Marine Corps in the field, this nice white table with like wine and cheese and <laughs> you know, like, and they're just like, yeah, dude, get, get, get hammered and watch the world cup. Um, we watched the world cup and like at one of those half shells Yeah. And it, and it was Germany versus Brazil. And you know, the Legion is from people from all different countries, but they yeah. had the, they had the Brazilian delegation and the German delegation just jaw jacking back and forth the entire match. <laughs> and it was great to watch. And it was just, and, and you, we kind of chose sides and stuff, but that was the game that Germany just smoked Brazil, like seven, yeah. nothing. And like in the beginning you, you would see it like, you know, there's a lot of pride in Brazilian soccer, right? Yeah. Brazilian football. So they were just, they were just, just shit talking the entire time. And then the game started 
and then it was one nil then it was two nil oh boy and then it got to the point where like they were they had in order to show who scored when it actually had to scroll like that's the first time i've ever seen like it actually had to like scroll like the 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 stats and it was and like the germans were just all over the brazilians and the brazilians were just quiet that was and then of course the wine was every was was flowing it was it was a good time definitely a good time yeah I, i can imagine that um and so for those of you who are not familiar uh, the French Foreign Legion, uh, and I've actually uh, propositioned this idea for an American military. Uh, they're not necessarily French citizens. They can they they've really tightened kind of like you know how what crimes you can have committed before you join. Back in the day, it was kind of a free for all, but they they've really tightened that up, and now yeah. it's like a pathway to citizenship. Or after you serve your your contract, and as long as you do so honorably, then you get French citizenship afterwards. It's a it's a it's a very elite unit too, and they they spend a lot of time in a lot of the the former colonies of France, um, helping some of those countries out. But um, no, absolutely, I I I you see that and you see the Australian Defence Force, which is the same. Australia has a, has a unit similar to that, and you just wonder why America doesn't have that as an option. Yeah, I I, I know that a lot of other militaries kind of refer to the Marine Corps as our French Foreign Legion. Uh, just because of uh, the, the the diversity, and then the fact that you know Marines do get deployed on these uh, task force and these special uh, uh, task groups and the expeditionary units and stuff. And uh, yeah. so, it, if America, if you had to make the the assessment, it would kind of be like the Marine Corps a little bit. But our Marine Corps is way bigger than the French Foreign Legion. I also feel citizens. like yeah. yeah. I also I also feel like if we had something similar to the French Foreign Legion, uh, like the American Foreign Legion, for example. I th- I feel like the things that they're allowed to do in the French Foreign Legion, America would not be able to get away with. Yeah, that's why we have contractors. You know, like, we have contractors. <laughs> cheap. You know, the one thing I will say about Europeans, the is, American, the American Contracting Legion. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, uh, if that's an example. Yeah. Granted, they have. They yeah, have we a talked lot, about that on an episode. Yeah. yeah, we have we have a lot of stipulations on those things too. But a lot of those guys, like you get former military, it's cheap to hire them because they've already been trained. And so the idea is that I've noticed a lot of people in Europe are fairly sensible about things. And so the idea, if, you know, if you're sending a, you know, company or a battalion or whatever their equivalent is to Africa, for example, for whatever interdiction or national interest, they are much less to get riled up if they get a report of 10 KIAs in the French Foreign Legion as if they would be if it was 10 KIAs in the uh, French military uh, proper. Yeah. they're they're less likely to uh, get up in arms about the you know the the dirty deeds done by dirty men in in foreign countries than they would if it's the actual proper military. And so with America, like everywhere we go, everywhere we you know, we do, even if you're a contractor, like you know you have an American flag somewhere or the symbol or the crest of whatever agency you're contracting for or something like there are you know letters of authorization. There's a government official who is in some way accountable, whether it's an officer or a department head, some way accountable for all the actions. Uh, so everywhere we go in the world, like you know we're bringing the stars and bars with us, and not saying that that's not necessarily the case with the French Foreign Legion, but as they are removed and as it is a pathway to citizenship where, you know, we have some Marines who are on green cards or visas, uh, but the majority of them are, you know, American citizens, but that's yeah. not the case with the, with the Legion. Yep. No, it, it'd be, it'd be interesting to see if we, we could develop something like that. I think it would be pretty, actually it would be really unique and well, not, I mean, it's unique in the fact that not many countries have that type of service, but I, I really would support something like that. That'd be really cool. 
I feel like, and again, I'm, I'm going to go back to the, the same point I made earlier, which is that you'd have to make some leeway for what they would be allowed to do and what they would not be allowed to do as far as like their training processes. Like the, the reason you never see Marines in the field with a, a white table with wine and cheese is because nobody wants to give the Marines in the field a bunch of wine and see how that works out. Right. <laughs> no, like you have mess no. nights. That's different. But like, if you had a, like, again, if you had an American foreign legion, you'd have to say, okay, well, what are we allowed to do? And what are we not allowed to do? Yeah. But see also in America, there's so many bleeding hearts that somebody would be like, Oh, you're taking these, you know, disenfranchised people and, you know, sending them to combat. And I'm like, it's just no different than what happened to me. Like, right. That's, that's the regular military. Like Dan yeah. and I were both like poor destitute you and, know? and we both had to <laughs> fight off alligators to survive in youth. Yeah. So like, I was poor and destitute and I went in just because I had a, a citizenship already didn't mean it was any better. Yeah, I just don't want to give uh, I just don't want to give the bleeding hearts one more thing to protest about. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I grew up in a, in a trailer in hump, in hump Tools, Washington. I was the son of a logger, you know. Oh, wow. And, uh, you, you know, I just I remember looking at the four recruiting station goes, yo, one of these guys are getting me because <laughs> yeah. I'm not staying here. <laughs> And so, you know, you, you translated that into a successful military career. Uh, you worked for NASCAR. You worked for now you're the host of, you know, the, the voice of the Department of Veteran Affairs. So yeah. I, I want to ask you uh, two questions, and we'll do it in two parts because uh, sure. the first one, you know, might, might take a little bit of explaining. The first one would be uh, what guests are you the most proud of as far as your interview goes? And, uh, you know, either the – the, the status of the guest or the information that they brought out. And then the second part is, is if, um, if we could put it out there, who would you want to bring on the show that you haven't had yet? Ooh, those are two really good questions. Um, you know, I, I find value in all my guests for one, of course, I, I'm, I'm, that's easy to say, but um, ones that stick out um, are one, all the benefits breakdowns that I do. So every five episodes on the fives, like say some episode 175 or 180, I do what's called the benefits breakdown. I go internal into the VA and I find some department or I find a, a program that the VA is doing. It could be a big program like the GI bill. It could be a small program like vet tech and I'll shake them and I'll be like, and, all right, what do you do? And what do is, what is vet tech real quick? Vet tech is like a, a program in the VA where it will train you. It's outside of the GI bill. It's a different pot of money. It's outside of uh, voc rehab that will train you for a job for like Microsoft or for like Facebook. It's, it's like a, you know, it'll, it'll put you in a, in a technological industry or it'll put you in, in the, in the tech industry. Um, and it's like a certificate that's recognized by all those companies. So you can go to, go to a, a partnered college. Um, and then, you basically get the funding, you go through the program and you get certified in, in the, in the tech industry for, for certain things. Um, but, uh, so that's a small program that I want to explore more because I don't know anything about it. Right. And I'm a veteran. So I'm going to, the whole point of the part of those benefits breakdowns are to sit down from, from my perspective as a veteran and figure this out for others. So those, I think are those most important, those are the most important episodes that I do. And then as far as uh, guests that stick out, of course, I got to interview Dale Dye, you know, as, as, a, as, a, as a Marine veteran, as someone that was in combat camera, he was PAO, he was in Vietnam. And, and the fact that you see him in every military film. Um, he was a uh, was, public affairs officer, a public affairs was. office. Yeah, PAO is public affairs office. 
And I, I know the different branches and, you know, cause we, we do have 55 different countries that listen to us and sometimes yeah. you know, acronyms don't translate, but to have someone that is that revered in your community, I, I could see how that would be a, a real treat to interview. Yeah. He was a public affairs officer that went through the battle of way. Wow. You know? oh, damn. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and came back and he was very open about his PTSD in the, in the, in the interview. And, you know, he even wrote about it on blogs. So like doing my research for that guest, I got to learn more about him than I just saw him, you know, before I just saw him as a, as a film legend, as someone that was in a lot of war films, getting to know him and getting to, getting to do research on him. I got to learn so much more that there were so many more layers to Dale Dye than, than many people realize. So that was really cool. Um, Nathan, and he has, I think he has a bronze star with a V too, um, Dale Dye. Don't, yeah. don't quote me on that. Um, so, and then Nathan Goncalves, him and I just gelled really easily. Um, he was a veteran that came back and his PTSD was used against him in his um, divorce. Oh, wow. Yeah. So for like custody of his kids and he was going through legal and, and this is a guy that had no motivation, wasn't doing anything. And then just all of a sudden was like, I'm going to go through and go through law school and did like, did, went through law school in like record time and he was going to do corporate law. And he was like, I'm gonna make a bunch of money in corporate law because I got a family to take care of. I got this new daughter or a new child. And then he had to go through it. And then all that whole plan got disrupted because he um, was going through a divorce and she was using PTSD against him to take custody of the child. And he realized that there was nobody in the legal system to help him defend that position. So he completely switched from corporate law to family law, which is not as, not as lucrative, mind you, yeah. but his goal is to help other veterans that were in the same situation that he was in. That was a cool episode. Yeah. We, um, we, we talked a little bit about, um, uh, a gentleman that I, that I had done an interview with, uh, for American grit. He had requested a trial by combat, uh, as part of his divorce proceedings. He, um, basically said that he kind of did it as a lark, and that it was just to kind of call attention to the fact that uh, that sometimes uh, that certain uh, parents, whether it be custodial or non-custodial, and so we're not saying men or women, but uh, the non-custodial parent, oftentimes uh, their rights get violated. It is harder for them to have a say in what happens during the proceedings if you don't physically have custody um, of of the uh, of the child and so he basically said that you know I'm, I'm tired of all the back and forth i'm tired of paying all this money and never getting anywhere so i request uh, a trial by combat and you know the the news <laughs> they, they they absolutely freaked I out i saw that yeah yep. and he and you know, he came back afterwards and he's like look nobody cared about my story before but now people are paying attention but the only thing they're saying is that i'm some sort of lunatic when i was you know i just made this as a joke and a trial by combat means that there's legal uh parameters around it i'm not you know just a madman out there going on a spree you know and so the fact that there isn't a law against that and i requested that and now there are armed security guards in like full you know riot kit with uh assault rifles at his hearings and he's like i had to go through security to get here like how dangerous do you guys think i am yeah you see so that was a really cool episode and then you asked what guests would i like to have on the show in the future 
Yeah, real quick before I forget, his name was uh, David Ostrom. And so uh, if you get a chance, check that out. His story is very interesting because he tried to do things the right way and you know, they, they told him to pack sand. And so he got a little creative and then it actually made things worse for him. So it's like, how do you win? Yeah, yeah. And that's that's the that's where um, Nathan was was at. So, I mean, he was in this position where he could he could pivot his actual you know law degree into family law and start focusing on that. But that's a crazy story, man. That's a yeah. crazy story. So who would you want to have on? Uh, you know, there's a lot of people. Um, we do have Medal, Medal of Honor recipients are always, always good. Uh, we got Florent Groberg uh, on the docket. He's, he's going to be coming on soon. He's a cool guy. Yeah. And then, um, you know, I, we've had big swole from AEW, yeah. uh, the AEW wrestler she was on. And I'm, a, I'm kind of a, I've always kind of paid attention to wrestling ever since the attitude era. And so oh, I'm always yeah. interested in it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, um, you watch it when you, you watch it when you were a kid, but I quit watching it, of course, when I joined the Marine Corps and it went into like the PG area, but I always looked at the dirt sheets because man, those guys, you know, you look at Ric Flair, you look at all the back of the, you know, the wrestlers from the eighties and nineties and those guys live, they made rock stars look like kindergarten. Yeah. You know? And so you always, I always kept in touch with the dirt sheets and then hey, AEW came like, along. Uh, professional wrestling. I mean, like, yeah, okay, like we all get it. Like, there, you know, there's an element. It's of a man soap opera. Yeah, it's, it's a man a, soap opera. And you know, I don't, I don't tune in every weekend, but I, I gotta say, being like 14 or 15 years old, and like, uh, you have some all-American, you know, hero who won the Olympic medal with a broken freaking neck, Kurt Angle, and you know, he's getting stomped down by G Generation X, and then all of a sudden you hear the glass break for Stone Cold, or if you smell, and then The Rock comes out and lays the smackdown on these guys, and you know, America's virtue is preserved. Like, if you didn't get hyped to that, then I don't know what's wrong with you, and you don't deserve absolutely. It. Like, that's absolutely. all I'm saying. Absolutely. The attitude era was barring on the best. Um, but so there's a lot of veterans in wrestling right now. You have oh. Lacey, you have, uh, you have big swole, which that episode was great. Um, you have Lacey Evans out there doing her thing right now. Um, you have Steve Cutler, part of the forgotten sons. You have road dog. Who's a legend, you know, he's, he was a Marine Corps veteran. Yeah. So, I, uh, Bobby, Bobby Lashley, who was a, who was on the U S army wrestling team, I think. Yeah. He's, uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's had an interesting MMA career too. Like you, mm -hmm. you, you look at that dude and you're just like, it's unfair for you to know how to fight that well. Like, how are you going to be an NCAA <laughs> champion wrestler, be that big, that muscular, that intimidating, and then like know that he knows how to drop you on your head? Yeah, him and Brock Lesnar. You just look at them and you're like, D those are two guys I just would not want to see in a dark alley. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, there's also uh, Mitch Aguilar. He is a, a former Navy SEAL and a pro MMA fighter. I just wrote an article about him. He um, uh, found he heard rumors that a, a Navy SEAL uh, memorial and monument was going to be defaced. And so he put on his kit and grabbed his rifle and uh, went down there to, to stand in front of it. And so not getting into the specifics of the morality of whether it was right or long, wrong or the legality of what you can and can't do to protesters who are you know, defacing monuments to, you know, fallen soldier members, uh, service members and soldiers. But the idea of like, that's the last guy that you want to yeah. come across in a dark alley, like Navy yeah. SEAL, pro MMA fighter, like. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so yeah. that's the last thing you want to see in a dark alley. Um, yeah, we had, we had to. Would, definitely would be I would be interested in interviewing him. That sounds a very, like a very interesting story. Yeah, we had, um we had Tim Kennedy on the show. And again, like, 
the idea that, you know, if you're some scumbag that's going to rob, you know, uh, a convenience store or, you know, try to, you know, uh, attack a soft target or something, the idea that, you know, special forces, sniper, ranger, top five MMA fighter, Kim, uh, Tim Kennedy may be sitting there with, uh, with a pistol concealed, like, like have it, fun. Yeah. Have fun, <laughs> have, have, have fun with that. You know, good night and good luck. Yeah. Tim yeah. would be a good guest. Absolutely. Tim would be a good guest. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. So um, to to kind of wrap it out, uh, wrap it up, which uh, so we don't run on too long. Uh, if you if you wanted to kind of speak as to, uh, and this is oftentimes kind of a difficult question as a host to answer because it's hard not to take it personal. But if somebody you know met you on a train or you know at a bar or something, and they find out that you have a show, and they ask you, "Why should I listen to your show?" What would you say? I would say if you're a veteran, uh, I'm just trying to get as much information from the VA to you, period. You know, that's that's my entire goal within the VA and, and creating the VA, not just Born the Battle, but the VA podcast network. I'm, uh, you know, it's I want to get information to you as quickly as possible and, and to hopefully introduce you to some folks that you can identify with and just to let you know that you're not alone. Right on. You know, I like that. AJ, you got any other questions? No, I think you covered uh, covered most of it. I did want to throw in though, because we mentioned it earlier, and then you guys kind of moved on. Um, Dale Dye had a um, he did get a um, a bronze star with a V. He had three purple hearts, and at some point he was referred to as a wannabe grunt. And the battalion commander that called him that meant it as a compliment. Like this dude did some hardcore stuff. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like I said, if you dig into Dale Dye a little bit, you're gonna you learn a lot about him. You're like, holy crap, he's more than just a technical advisor in Hollywood. Yeah, and our combat photographer that was attached to us, uh, he was a former grunt before he lat moved and uh, got a new job in the military or a new MOS, and he actually spent more time uh, behind his rifle during some of our pushes than he did with his camera, which kind of sucked because like we had combat com- camera and I was like, Oh yeah, we're gonna have all these awesome pictures of us, you know, getting some. And then like, I got like maybe three and like, I, I think he ended up dumping more mags than anyone else because it's just like, Oh snap. Like I can, I can get some, you know, I'm not just like covering a retirement ceremony or a change of command. Yes. Hey, he still yes. got some pretty good pictures of me. Yeah. Jason Alexander. He was a, uh, he, he was a good dude. Uh, it, it was it was funny. nice it was nice to it's have funny. him there i'm sorry go ahead say, you know it's funny when uh you first get to like a grunt unit their first thing that they do is very they're very standoffish you know and then you take that first photo and you show somebody you know, and, and that, at that point they're like okay he's with us you know he's okay. with com- he's, he's with <laughs> he's with our company or no he's with our company or <laughs> he's our platoon you know he's we're attaching yeah. him because um quick story about italy um you know, my CEO, he flew us in the, I guess the Marine Corps owns like this private jet that was gifted them by Congress. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's wild. It's out there in Europe right now. It's like a two person like Learjet and it was in Romania with us. And the CEO was like, we're evacuating the embassy in Tripoli. Uh, you're going to go record it. And I was like, I'm so down for that. So he flew me from, uh, from Romania to Sigonella put me, you know, he was the general, put me, put me in front of the regiment CEO is the staff sergeant is where he's, you know, blah, blah, blah. He, he needs to be on this mission. Like he really advocated for me to have a seat on a, on an Osprey. I yeah. mean, personally, and I'll never forget that. Um, Lieutenant Colonel Hall, uh, I think he's, I think he's Colonel Hall now. 
but uh the first thing that the 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 company commander did was like i'm not i don't want this guy you know screw no no that's another seat for one of my guys absolutely not and i was like all right cool um he doesn't want me screw it i'll go with the c-130 guys c-130 guys were all about it because they never get any footage they never get they never get any love they're like absolutely you know and i was like that's a better shot anyways when we're evacuating the embassy and they're coming on the C-130s, like that's that's the money shot. So I was like, cool, yeah. I'm on there. So then the C the C-130 CEO, uh, he was like, hey, and we got Staff Sergeant Iskra, he's going to be with us. And, the, and at that point, I was there for like a couple of weeks. And I was taking some really good footage. I was going out on aerial refueling with them, and I was taking some photos of the grunts. And so when the C-130 CEO, he was like, yo, he's with he's with me. And at that that point, the company CEO stood up. He's like, no. We already talked about this. We agree. He, no, he's with me. And I was like, all right, they're fighting for me. I am on this mission. No matter what. <laughs> essential personnel. So, essential personnel. So then what happened was we were there waiting for the green light. We had to be an hour away from our gear. Couldn't drink in Italy, right? Couldn't drink mm-hmm. in Italy. Uh, waiting for the green light from, I, I think, the part, Department of State because the ambassador had to be the one to give us the green light to do it. Yeah. And we were sitting there and then the Mew came in and they became the primary. We became the secondary and I had to argue my position back on them because they had their own combat camera. And then a met, and then another week went by and then a MEF general came in like a two or three star and we had to redo the plan again. And at that point I was secondary, you know, our company was like secondary or tertiary. And I was like, well, this thing ain't kicking off. So I was like, screw it. Where's the wine? You know, I'm in Italy. (laughs) (laughs) So I started drinking and, uh, and that's when the CEO came to me and he was like, Iskra, do you want to, you know, obviously this thing at kicking off, do you want to go train with the French foreign legion? I was like, all right, cool. I'm down for that. Absolutely. Let's do it. The day I stepped foot in France, I found out when we ripped the next unit two two, like the very next day they went on the mission. And they did not send their public affairs officer and they had a public what? affairs officer. She, she did not go. So they didn't get any footage of this clandestine mission to evacuate an embassy. Um, it's one of the few times that um, it's one of the few things that it's, it's, a, it's the most, probably the most clandestine mission the Marine Corps has ever done in a really, really long time. We had a company of Marines at the embassy already from three, eight, they put civilian gear on, they got an up armored, uh, SUV, SUVs burned everything in the embassy oh, and wow. then drove. Yeah. And then they drove 17 hours from Libya, from Tripoli into Tunisia. And then they got picked up in Tunisia in the middle of the, like, the Libyan civil war. Wow. That's because they wild. were getting, because they were getting hit from both sides. Um, they were getting hit with anti-aircraft fire. They're getting hit all kinds of stuff was coming in the, in the compound between the two fighting factions. They had completely destroyed the Tripoli airport. So we couldn't land a C-130 there. So the Ospreys were just hovering around these up-armored Humvees with civilian, with you know, embassy civilians and and Marines. They made it to Tunisia, and someone actually, uh, they got picked up and then they got they got put in, they got brought to Italy, and then the public affairs officer took a photo of them in Italy. Wow, that's yeah. intense. What a nerd. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, she, they didn't they didn't allow her to go. Um, I don't for whatever reason, or she didn't advocate, or you know, she didn't have a lieutenant colonel saying that. She had to go on, you know, she has to go on this mission. So as soon as I got back from France, I got to Romania and I was like, okay, cool. I can just start cutting this. Uh, Colonel Hall came to me and he was like, you have to go get your gear on. Like I just sat down. I just got back from France yeah. into Romania. And they're like, All right, you're, you know, staff sergeant, sorry, dude, you know, wash your clothes or do what you got to do, but you're leaving tomorrow. You're going back to Spain 
because you're going to interview all those guys that just got out of Tripoli. And so what I had to do for the documentary, I was like, okay, cool. She didn't go. There's no footage. How do I tell this story? I just put a hard drive down in the middle of, of all their bunks. And I was like, all right, fuckers. I know. All right, guys. I know you guys have footage. I know you guys have photos. Yeah. Give me what you have. Give me what you have. And then I sat down and interviewed the guys. And uh, that's how we were able to tell that story. Wow. So, yeah. So, that's pretty cool. Yep. So, um, so I got one last question for you before we, uh, before we close out, Yeah. Uh, you know, you mentioned, uh, doing technical advising in Hollywood, um, as, as far as, you know, the roles of the guests that you've had on. So, you know, we oftentimes like to look at movies and be like, Oh, you know, like that's not how they do it. Like uh, battlefield LA, we don't say FOB, we say FOB, you know, there, there's some discrepancies. So, the scene where uh, Private Joker and his photographer finally <laughs> land with Animal Mother and you know the rest of the Marines in Full Metal Jacket in Vietnam, how accurate is that from a uh, combat camera perspective? Um, you know, I can only speak for I can't speak for Vietnam. Yeah. No, but I could, I could speak for Post 11. But it is kind of like it's very it's a very there is a very there's a feeling out process. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I even had, uh, even my Lance Corporal's come and tell me, you know, and I, was, and I was like, look guys, you have to go on the humps with them. You have to go with them. That's the only way they're going to trust you. That's the only way you're going to embed with that unit is you actually have to do everything they do. And I have, I had a, I had a, a female Lance Corporal. Her name was Lance Corporal Brahas. And she was five foot nothing, but man, was she a spitfire? Like, you know, she's with three, eight, you know, she's with a grunt unit. And she went on the first shoot with them and I guess she had to go, uh, she's probably gonna kill me for telling this story. She had to go use the restroom. Yeah. And uh, of course she had to be escorted to go use the restroom by like the company guns or something. So like they're all kind of pitching her, you know, crap and everything. So she turns, just turns around and just gives like the double bird. And at that point I was like, yo, she's going to be just fine. She's going to be just fine. (laughs) (laughs) And, and she went through the non-lethal weapons training. Um, She went through like at higher levels than, than some of the grunts. Like she went through like the level two and she did it all in one day. That was where she really got the respect. She got through, she went through the OC spray and then she did the, the taser all in the same day. Oh, yeah. She's like, give it to me, give it to me, whatever you got. And I was, and so like some of the grunts were like, dude, I wouldn't even do that. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Hey, that's, that's her. And she went on a hunt with them. And, and you know, there's a definitely a feeling out process to yeah. get back to your question. Um, but what you have to do is you just have to just be a Marine. I, I, yeah, I would say the valuable commodity in any unit is the camaraderie and the sense of belonging. And so being on the inside jokes, being included, being invited, uh, whether you're going to the chow hall or whether you're going to the smoke pit or, you know, whatever the case is, uh, being included, like, Hey, we're sharp, you know, like, uh, when somebody's asking where you are, that, that, that is a very good feeling. And so the price of admission to that club is the shared suffering. And so if you, if you haven't suffered with us, then you don't get the, uh, you don't get the, you know, the, the card carrying, uh, privileges. You have to be there. You have to be there. Yeah. So what I would say is the, the most valuable thing is the camaraderie and, uh, you have to pay the price of admittance to get that, and that is shared suffering. So, whether you know you're a uh, a new leader in the unit, whether you're enlisted or officer, 
uh, that second lieutenant, that combat camera, that you know interpreter, whatever and, the case and, is. Engineer, engineers. Yeah. Yeah, you don't you don't get to be you know part of the cool guy club without doing the stuff that all the cool guys do, and I, and I'm not saying that in a nefarious sense. Like obviously, you know, keep a good head about it, but you don't get to be part of the club if you haven't suffered with with the club. And that's where you get the really you know, and it's from a combat camera perspective. That's where you get the good stories, the good shots, the good the good interviews, is when you're actually in bed with the unit and they and they trust you. Yeah. Everybody loves a good story of suffering. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And like the, uh, the, the machine gunner and the Huey as they're flying in, he's like, Hey, you should do a story on me. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> wants to be famous. Oh my gosh. I, I, I can't tell you that. Yeah. You should do a story on me. And I'm, and I'm my question, my answer was like, why? What's so special about you? That's not special about this guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or it's always the, the, the the bright shiny officer that comes in and so it was just like dude you, dude you're in an office like what oh, stop he needs his 15 minutes of fame so he can sell his book later <laughs> yeah yeah he needs that that link to that that one article so that way he can use it for his interview process later on <laughs> not interested not interested yeah so if um you know if you if you have served uh, you have paid a price of admittance in one way or another. It may not specifically be to the same unit that I was in, but we all have an inherent respect for each other's service. And that is one of the things that we strive to do here at the Smoke Pit. And uh, Tanner does as well at the Born the Battle podcast is to foster that camaraderie beyond your service to make sure that you still feel included in what's happening with this community. Because if we don't shepherd it, if we're not voices for positive change, then who will be? Absolutely. 100%. So we thank you so much for your time. And do uh, you have any final thoughts? Where can people find you? Uh, Born the Battle is on uh, all the social media for the Department of Veterans Affairs. So it's DEPT Vet Affairs, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. No matter the pro- social media, you'll always find it with that blue check mark. Um, and then you can also find it on our, on our blog at blogs.va.gov. Or if you just Google Born the Battle, you're going to find it because it's, it's, we, you know, we pay attention to search engine optimization. All right. Well, thank you very much. Uh, bye. Bye. Bye.